0: It's FAQ NYC Off Cycle, where the New Yorker's podcast from the newsroom by and for New Yorkers, the city, steps back to take different and deeper looks into just some of the things that are always happening here in the only place in the world. I'm Harry Siegel, and in just a moment, I'll be joined by Anthony Amagera, AFDNY EMS Lieutenant Paramedic, Vice President of the Uniformed EMS Officers Union, and the author of Riding the Lightning, a book about doing that job during the worst of the pandemic that, since his last appearance on the pot, is now being developed into a dramatic series by CBS Studios. But first, a final reminder of the year from our engineer, Adam Kamara, that, drum roll, please.
1: FAQ NYC is now a part of the city a nonprofit nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to serving the people of New York. Our hard-hitting local news is powered by listeners and readers like you. Now through the end of the year, that Saturday, every dollar you donate to the city will be tripled. Think of it as the only three-card monte game in history that actually pays out. If you've been listening to this pod and reading The City in 2022, please head to thecity.nyc/give and donate today to help support our work in 2023. That's
0: thecity.nyc/give. Thanks, Adam, and welcome to the pod, Anthony. So we've spent a lot of time recently on this show talking about the new approach Mayor Eric Adams announced a few weeks ago to force more severely mentally ill and distressed street people into hospitals for evaluation and care or at least stabilization. You wrote a New York Times opinion piece detailing. Uh, how uh, these uh, EDP or emotionally disturbed persons calls uh, were going up even before the pandemic, double-during it, and the problems with the system in which uh, paramedics, EMTs, and ER medical professionals are often the only points of contact that uh, these severely mentally ill street people end up having with the mental care system such as it is. So I'm hoping you could start off by talking about what those encounters are actually like how they changed during the pandemic and how they could or already have changed now with this new administration's new policy or approach the means putting more people into the funnel, so to speak, for what you describe as a horribly inadequate system of broader care. Yeah,
2: so uh, thanks for having me on, Harry, again. It's uh, wonderful to be here with you guys. The the healthcare system in the united states is broken especially in new york city i don't think this will come as a surprise to your listeners for years ems the emts and paramedics that roam the streets here like our patients that we pick up we we find people we come across patients who you know they've fallen through every crack in society, and now the end result is what I'm seeing on the street of a process that started years and years and years before I even got in contact with them. You know, when I first started as a medic twenty years ago, it, you, you'd see that you had regulars. You know, you knew Joey on the corner. We had uh, in Harlem when I first started, we had Uptown Ricky and we had Downtown Ricky, but they were kind of few and far between, and and. And you knew them, and they were generally, for the most part, harmless. Um, and, you know, you put them in the hospital. They got a, they got something to eat. They slept on a bed for the night, and they were back out into the street. But what you've seen over the last 10 years, maybe a little longer, I'm going to say since the financial crisis of 2008, is you're starting to see people who are younger, who are not as despondent, who are recently homeless. They were working. They were. Parts of families, they were members of what we like to think as a productive society. And you started to see those numbers tick up. You also started to see the violence against EMS workers grow up exponentially. So much so that we had to get a law passed on the side of every New York City ambulance assaulting an EMS worker as seven years felony. So you're seeing this uptick in homeless and people who are mentally ill in the streets and you're seeing the violence tick up with it. And during the pandemic, it just exploded. People were in the streets, uh, homeless, they had lost their jobs during the pandemic. The majority of patients I see now are recently homeless, you know, two, two years, two and a half years, in and out of systems. I pick up a lot of homeless people who are working who are working? Hey, I, I work nine to five. I'm, you know, I'm delivering groceries. I'm doing this, but they can't afford the rent in New York City. All the stuff that you know people read about every day, and the people who are on the edge, who are pushing people into the subway tracks, who are assaulting people in the streets, who are running naked or anything like that, where it's it's a mental health issue that's gone to the extreme. That has definitely gone up. And what's happening is we're picking these people up and we're taking them into the hospital, but the hospital is overwhelmed, they're understaffed, just like EMS is. They're overworked, they don't have the capacity or the resources to treat these people. And the other components of treating these people you need to have in place. You need to have housing, social workers. You wanna get these people reintegrated into society somehow. So when Mayor Adams comes out with this plan of we're gonna force people up the streets, Well, we kind of did that already, right? We're doing that. EMS has been doing that for years, right? Now you're putting a cop in play. Cops should be ancillary to EMS with patients who have mental health issues. They should be there to support, not determine.
0: If I can jump in for for one second there, we've talked about this a bunch on the podcast, but part of what's confusing is, is this a new approach? Is this a new policy? What exactly is happening here, right? It was a big announcement about something that was already occurring in which uh, people who seemed very disturbed, and and we'll come back to this, uh, sometimes mentally ill, sometimes people who had been on K2 or very drunk uh, or other things, and, and then that's a whole different sort of treatment path. But people who are acting out are forcibly taken in for evaluations, right? And then from a mental health perspective, they can be held we up to 72 hours to be evaluated, but often they're stabilized or they're just like given a, a banana bag, like, you know, you're, you're, here's a bunch of nutrients for your system and back out with you now that you're not raving. Um, so police had already forcibly been taking people in uh, uh, um, EMTs and paramedics, I think, had, had already been the front line. Police have never liked doing this, you know, like like it, it's. A hassle for them and it doesn't like generate good numbers it's frustrating and i think what's different and stop me if this is wrong is adams is saying he wants his officers as he likes to put it proactively doing this so that's one and then two is i don't know how much of that is actually happening at this point and and i love your perspective on that so i i've seen a couple of things i see all these police who are getting mandatory overtime and they're not always thrilled with it standing in train stations sometimes along with people who seem like they could actually really use some help like like someone who's passed out with their stuff spread out around them on the platform, you know I'm checking on making mm-hmm. sure that person's still breathing and police around the corner who aren't aren't interacting with or doing anything or on their phones so so I think from my perspective and you're dealing with this much more intimately than I am, it does seem like there's a disconnect between this announcement of this big new thing coming on and where police are supposed to be making these decisions where I believe traditionally you wrote they defer. To uh, to paramedics and EMTs, like what's actually changed, and what seems to be a paper change at this point.
2: So you're right, Harry. Police have never really wanted to do this in 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 a lead role. They're not trained. Then they don't have equipment necessary, really, to deal with people who are struggling with mental health issues. So what's changed with Mayor Adams' announcement is, if the example I'm going to give is you and me go on a call. You're the cop. I'm the medic. The patient says, I, I, I lost my mom and I felt like sui- I wanted to commit suicide, but I'm over it. You know, it was just a reaction. That cop can say, you have to go to the hospital and override the medic. That's the new thing here. So it sets up a conflict between two first responders, a potential conflict. And it also violates a little bit of the trust that you have to establish with the patient. People call 911 with a semblance of free will to it. I can have some determination of where I want to go, what I need to be treated for. Now I'm going in and people are going to know that if a cop comes, they can just say I have to go. And it becomes a big thing, right? Instead of the medical professional determining whether or not, hey, this person is struggling with this or and, or they can be left home or they can follow with their therapist. Etc., etc. So we've always taken people to the hospital. Sometimes we force people to the hospital. I have tools to force people to the hospital in the safest way possible. I can sedate them, I can get hospitals ready to know that they're coming in. PD has never transported people to hospitals, they're not going to now. So now you always will have to have a, a, an ambulance on site. But now the cop is making the determination. Has it happened yet? I'm sure it has. Has it led to a stalemate on the scene where you have EMS there extended now because we're trying to figure out who's going to determine what with the patient who's not an imminent threat to themselves or others? Yes, that's happening. EMS has never been busier, uh, with the exception of that spike in the pandemic. We're doing 4,000 to 5,000 calls a day now. So the number of EDP calls has gone up it's roughly 10 to 13% of the call volume so you have you have this recipe of disaster waiting to happen where you have a short staff service cops who don't want to do this and frankly they shouldn't have to they should be there to support EMS if if the patient is dangerous to themselves or others or an imminent threat then we can get them to help us you know mitigate that and then you have the hospitals who can't handle these patients which is the biggest thing.
0: I, I want to come right to the hospitals and the idea that this is expanding an intake system into nowhere, which uh, reminds me a lot of what's happening with the homeless encampment sweeps, where this is to get people help, but there is no uh, help on the other end. Uh, it's it's actually just taking their shit and pushing them off. And that's the whole system as best I can tell. So do you want to uh, talk a bit about what happens or doesn't happen once you've transported someone uh, to the hospital, uh, generally speaking. And, uh, you know, the Times just had a big story about the ER at NYU and the VIP treatment for certain folks there. Which I was a part of. Yep. You're quoted in that. Someone else who's quoted is, uh, is a medical professional who's worked at Bellevue right down the block and talks about like the regular shift dump. Where where the troubled people who get taken to one ER, and this is a nonprofit ER that has to provide services to everyone in exchange for that incredible tax break worth a quarter billion dollars a year, but in practice they're just dumping the people off at Bellevue, and uh, good luck. So so I mean, if you won't actually go through from from beginning to end when 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 you've been dealing with this for a long time and during the pandemic, what it's like when you're talking to one of these these EDPs when they're going in with you. Uh, voluntarily or otherwise, and what happens or doesn't once they get to the hospital, just just to lay that out for for listeners who may be thinking about this, but but in many cases haven't experienced it or or negotiated the system on behalf of a family member who
2: has. So, in New York City, a nine one one call is made, and in that nine one one call, somebody will say, "I have a person, male, female. They'll give them approximate age, a description." Uh, Who is threatening to kill himself or herself, who is acting irrational, who is uh, mumbling to themselves, who is uh, sleeping on a subway car. Go down the list of all the things that can be classified as potentially dealing with mental health issues. Right. And so an ambulance gets dispatched. EMTs go to the scene they ch- they have to do a determination whether it's a medical episode, like let's say the person's diabetic and they're low blood sugar. That's not a mental health issue, right? So they have to determine do a medical evaluation, and then once that's part and parcelled, then they sit there and go down the list of questions to try and determine if this person's having a mental health crisis. And if they are, we have to take them to certain hospitals that can handle that, that have psychiatric emergency rooms, like NYU and. Bellevue and others throughout the city. Some hospitals don't have that capability. But when, so we take them in the back of the ambulance. If they're violent, then we have PD come with us to help us sedate. And when we sedate them and then maybe restrain them, if they're not violent and they're compliant, we go to the hospital. They go, they have a psych consult in the hospital ER. And if they're voluntary going in, they're right back out for the most part. They're given a follow-up visit, maybe, with a clinic or a therapist, and good luck. So it becomes a revolving door, but what's happened in the last two years is the revolving door, the hinges are worn off. It's, it's just, you're in and out. You go in, the doctors and the nurses are inundated, NYU and other hospitals. Not anybody's not the only hospital that does that. We've gone to hospitals for years, where so they go, why did you bring this patient here? Why didn't you bring them to Bellevue? Or why didn't you bring them to Kings County? or Lincoln. It's usually a city hospital they want to dump into. And we've picked up patients who were dumped out of those other hospitals, like at NYU, and told that if you're going to call 911, make sure you go down to 20th Street, because now the nearest hospital is Bellevue, not NYU. So, you know, they've gotten wise to the system. And it's crazy that a hospital that has that much money and that big of an endowment is forcing people out into the streets because they look bad in the er i mean that's that's insanity and and so you have these calls come in we take them to hospitals in a a perfect world they would get a psyche valve if they're voluntarily being admitted then they would have follow-up treatments if they're involuntary they would have a hole they would have 24-hour psychiatric care until they're stabilized and then go off into Further psychiatric care and stabilization so that they can be treated members of society, not out in the streets. What's happening is, and this happened to me the other day uh, in Brooklyn here, a patient was brought in who was experiencing a, a mental health crisis, and they were out two hours later calling 911 again. And I went down, backed up a crew, and it was the same patient. And I said, Hey, what happened? We just put you to the hospital two, three hours ago. And they said, the hospital said, they don't have a place for me and uh, I can't be treated and they let me go. And so that patient came out. And what we did was we took him to a different hospital, but that hospital probably is gonna do the same thing. And just for the public is aware, the burnout that leads to EMS members on top of all the other things we see that burns us out. As a medic, as an EMT, you hope to have this thing where you're taking people to hospital and they're going to get care. They Okay, I did my part in this chain of events that's going to get this patient healthy. And to pick them up two hours later, you start to really ask yourself, what the hell am I doing here? What am I doing? It's For years, it used to be, why am I going to patients' homes who don't have medical insurance and they're waiting until the last minute to call 911 and they can't afford it? It really makes you think the system's broken. But, hey, I can, I can treat this heart attack. I can treat this, this asthma attack, you know, and, and buy time, right? As a medic, you're looking to stretch seconds into minutes and buy time. And with mental health people, I can't do that. I can't buy time. I have to rely on the other person I'm handing them off to to complete this process. And hopefully that person is now coming back into society healthy. That's not happening. That's not happening. They're coming back into the streets worse than they were. Harry, I was homeless for two years myself. I lived in a car. I stayed at the Bedford Armory Shelter for one night, and that was enough for me because the shelter system here is not adequate. It's a scary system and process to be a part of. And it hasn't changed much as somebody who goes into the shelters to treat people all day long. So I was homeless for two years. And I can tell you this. If somebody came and forced me into a hospital and sold me a bill of goods saying it's for your own good. And I go in and I'm back out in a day. You think I feel better or worse than when you took me in? You got my hopes up. You got me to go here. You got me thinking, okay, this is the moment where I start the process of getting back on my feet. And now I'm back out in the streets. Think about what that does to somebody who's already on that edge. Suicides are up higher than ever in the last 20 years. Suicides for EMS members, eight in the last two years. Mental health issues are through the roof. Try finding a therapist right now, Harry. Members, who are li- the people who listen to this, go online, try and find a therapist. See when your next, the next nearest appointment is. EMS, from EMS members, we do not have adequate mental health care, so much so That the EMS FDNY Help Fund, which is a charitable organization that the members run, has solicited donations so that we can pay for extra mental health services for EMTs and medics. And there's a waiting list for that. For the medics and EMTs, what's happening is the EMS people are starting to reflect the people we're we're taking in. I have two homeless EMTs now who are sitting there trying to get back on their feet because we don't make it up. This has been well documented. Um, so we're reflecting the populations we're serving. And if they're burning out, if they're being kicked down to the street and we're burning out and we're being kicked out to the street, something's going to give, right? And this house of cards we built is going to start tumbling down. Nurses are leaving the nursing profession. If you look at the numbers, they're not, they're saying, I don't want to do this anymore. They're going off. I have a nurse friend who quit and I said, Oh, you're going to go into something a little easier. No, no, I'm going to go become a florist. That's not what we want, right? You want you want experienced EMTs, medics, nurses, and doctors going off to become florists? No, we need them. We need these people, man, but we don't value it here. What we do is we want to not see it. So the mayor comes out with his plan of put, forcing them off the street, and for a day or two, people who are on the subways or walking through Times Square, doesn't. Like, oh, look, it's cleaned up. Right, And then we'll just keep forcing them in this cycle over and over so people have the impression that it's getting better. But meanwhile, behind that, behind that uh, curtain is the ENTs and medics who are quitting. Over 1,200 have been hired since March of 2020. That's over a quarter of our workforce has been replaced. We average 10 to 15 people quitting a week. We can't keep up. The nurses can't keep up, the doctors can't keep up. If it's happening with us, it's happening with them. And so, you know, behind that curtain, the public is not looking at that. And for some reason, for some reason, this country, Harry, and this city, I don't know why they don't want to open up the curtain and look behind it to truly fix it. You have to say it's broken. You cannot treat a cancer if nobody acknowledges we have cancer. You have to say this is genuinely broken, and where are the resources to allocate to this to fund and fix it? Because there's money. There's always money. $858 uh, defense budget. Nobody asked for that, right? They had it for that. That means they have it for this. And since Reagan did what he did in the early 80s with mental health and closed all the hospitals and got rid of it, we have never replaced any of that. And so you have people. Who are really trying their best but working at the broken end of a bottle seven days a week. And I, myself, have had my own suicidal episode in February 2021 where I sat in the tub and that was it. I was done. And therefore, but the grace of God, I go. And a little flicker of love came into my head and I, it pulled me through. But people don't have that option. People. You know, I went on a suicide the other day, 24-year-old sat there in his car in a garage in Brooklyn here, and just let it run in his mom's garage. I mean, people don't have that. They, they need help. This society needs help. Genuine help so that these people, and I don't get with. I'm sorry, Harry, I'm a little bit of a rant here, but I don't get where people get off saying, well, if we help them, then we'll have to help everybody. Yes! Help everybody. Created to so that when you go through it, because I think that's the disconnect. When we see those people on the streets, we think that won't happen to me. But the overwhelming majority of people are one missed paycheck. One health crisis away from being that person on the street. But I don't know why they don't think, well, I should set this up in case that happens to me. I have have resources. And the people that are paying the price are the first responders.
0: Can I ask you reflect a bit on something that happened not long at all before uh, Mayor Adams made this new announcement of a policy or approach or whatever it is. And that's the murder of uh, Captain uh, Allison Russo Elling by a man uh, who I believe is schizophrenic while she was on her quote unquote uh, lunch break uh, while she was going to get food uh, while working, uh, totally out of the blue, real nightmarish stuff, and how that fits into the broader picture you're you're drawing here of where things are at for workers, for street people, for this broken system.
2: So Harry, I have to correct one thing in that she wasn't on a lunch break. Right, right. EMS members don't get lunch breaks. She was actually going around the corner to somebody said something that there was something going on. So she went. And if you looked at the horrible video, when she turned back, this guy jumped and attacked her, stabbed her over 20 times.
0: I, I strongly recommend not not looking at this horrible video. It's a uh, it's nightmare material.
2: Don't look at it, please. Unfortunately, it was sent to me. And I wish I had not opened it. But it is. a. Uh, I knew Allison. I worked with Allison in the ambulance. I've known her. Over 15 years, I've hung out with her. Um, You know, the word, the the term salt of the earth gets thrown out a lot, but she was, you know, if you needed something, she was there. I spoke to her approximately two weeks before she was killed, where I was busting her chops about why are you still here? And she says, Anthony, February, I'm retiring. So she was six months from retiring.
0: Uh, Can only imagine how many of these... EDP calls she'd been on over uh over 28 years. And then somebody who was not given help or treatment, she had nothing to do with, uh right. j- just uh attacks her out of nowhere. It's it's horrific.
2: I don't doubt that this guy has a mental health issue. It's not normal to s- in cold blood stab somebody over 20 times and kill that person without knowing them, never did anything to them never cross paths and and you see that and you and you think how was this person on the streets and i'm pretty sure at some point he was picked up by an ambulance and brought to a hospital or he went to a hospital to seek help and was released back into the streets where was the follow up Where was the person going? You have to check in with me every week. That was long gone. And this guy got to this point in life where he was like, I'm just going to go and stab uh, a first responder, a a, a lieutenant with EMS because it's a high profile target. And I want to make a point, whatever that point is. So now that girl has to go to jail, right? He's no longer, I'm no longer concerned with his mental health well-being. He has to go to jail. But what I am concerned with is the people that are on that path. EMS workers have been assaulted. The assaults have gone up exponentially over the last 10 years. I believe, up until this point this year, there's been over 200 members assaulted by patients. I'd like to think Allison was the last, it was a, 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 an anomaly, but it won't be. Somebody else will get killed. And that makes it even harder for us because we're seeing this revolving door. We're seeing people brought in and out. We're seeing us get assaulted. we're quitting. We don't make enough. we don't have the same health benefits. So if I go off payroll, let's say I get hurt, I go off payroll, I lose my health insurance. you know, firefighters cops, sanitation workers get the they have unlimited sick leave. I have 12 days a year. So you're seeing all this and it piles up and people are like, why am I doing this job? That's the end result, right? And who suffers for that? You, you listening. Suffers for that because you want people in medicine, in emergency medicine, who are dealing with 911 emergencies to stay in that job. Medicine is like wine, it gets better with age, practicing it. And if you constantly have new people, then that, you know, you, you leave yourself hanging on the other end of that. They do their best but right now 71 percent of the workforce has less than five years experience. I mean, if I put you in the back in the ambulance or any of your listeners I say, oh we're gonna go to this hospital but don't worry everybody that has five years or less experience. you would jump out of the ambulance. so why is it acceptable when I bring the hospital to you and there's no investment there's no there's no I don't know I don't I, don't, I still it boggles my mind how how they want us to keep answering that call now busier than ever consistently busier than ever and when allison gets killed and we see no changes or when it's platitudes when they were banging on the pans for us for the pandemic and we see no changes why do this i do it because i love it it's a it's worth fighting for it's a noble profession and it deserves to have the same respect as the other 911 services, not only in New York City, but nationwide. But I'm going to convince some 22-year-old kid coming on the job to buy into that, who's still living at home, who the American dream is now starting to turn into a nightmare. They're not going to buy in. And then they're going to see Allison get killed and go, I'm going to die for $35,000 a year. I'm going to die on a job doing a job for a city that lets these people run through the streets without the care they need. And I'm not beating up the mayor. I'm not beating up the mayor. I agree with him. Let's take them off the streets. I agree. What I want him to do is follow through to its logical conclusion. And if that means going to the governor and saying, hey, we need to do this. You need to allocate more resources for us. Or the federal government, hey, Mr. Biden, this is not only a problem in New York City, but it's a problem nationwide. We need to rebuild this part of the healthcare system. Then he needs to do that. That's what I want to see. I'm not beating up him. I don't think he's doing a bad job. You know, I, 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 I agree with him. Most people, most of us agree. You got to get these people off the streets. But they got to stay off the streets. So that we don't have another Allison. Allison deserved to retire, spend time with her kid, go fishing. She loved being on boats. She loved hanging and out there on the water. She deserved that. She responded to 9-11. She came on this job later in life. So she was an older person who had a calling. She did 9-11. She did Sandy. She did everything that happened in the city in the last 24 and a half years. And on top of that, she also volunteered for her hometown of Long Island for all that time. She deserved to be able to leave this job with a head held high, with a a salary and a pension that will be able to give her a life of some comfort. Nobody's getting rich here. And and look back and say, look, I did that. And we deserve to follow in her steps. Oh, Allison did it? I'm going to do it just like Allison, right? We all knew we took a job. We all knew we took a job that we can die on because we do die on this job, right? And I'm okay dying on this job as long as I know I had every chance to live. And when Allison died, we did not provide every chance to live for her. She didn't have a bulletproof vest, which might have stopped the, uh, the knife wound. Who knows? She didn't have an aid. The only 911 responders that ride solo are EMS officers, lieutenants and captains. She didn't have a truck because we're short trucks. And the guy who killed her didn't have the adequate mental health care to keep him off the streets or get him treatment so that he wouldn't do things like that. Allison was not afforded every opportunity to survive. So her death at the moment is in vain. Because if we're not going to fix what led up to that, then what's the point? She died in vain. And all of us see it. All of us in EMS, we see it and we go, I don't don't die like that. What am I doing for this city? You know, I live here. I'm trying to help my fellow neighbors. I live in Brooklyn. I live in Midwood, Brooklyn. I have did most of my career in Brooklyn. I'm literally helping my neighbors. But if I'm going to get killed and, and no change will come, you know, a firefighter dies on the job. There's an immediate safety battalion report. They immediately pick it apart, see what they can do to fix it. Yadira Roya died in 2017. No safety battalion report. Nothing was done. Allison Russo, they're already saying, well, she could have did this or that. What? You know, so you're sitting here, you're listening, and you know, I want the man to be successful in this, but I want him to take the argument to its logical conclusion and say, we need this pipeline fixed the water needs to flow linear not in a, in a u-turn <laughs> you know that's coming right back out it needs to flow straight lines
0: just uh for, for for listeners and then i'll have one closing question for you uh can you please tell them who uh urita arroyo was and what happened uh to her i believe also involving a a pretty disturbed person in 2017 and her partner.
2: Yadair Royal was an EMT in the Bronx. She worked at Station 26. She did whole whole career in the Bronx. She was on overtime that day because we have to do overtime to survive. She had five children, I believe. And so she's on her way to a call and some some guy jumps on the back of the ambulance and starts jumping up and down on it. So she gets out to investigate what's going on. And this guy assaults her, commandeers the ambulance with her partner still in the ambulance, trying to mitigate this. And she tries to stop him and he runs her over and kills her. Five years later, he still has not stood trial yet. So you want to talk about, we see Allison die and being murdered in the street. We saw a royal get killed in the street and there's no justice. There's no change in policy. It's only gotten worse. What, you know, you sit there and you go to yourself as a medic. What am I doing?
0: So in your piece and and actually in our conversation, right before we started recording briefly, you know, we're talking about how, how difficult it is to achieve this change really because it would be very expensive and as a practical political matter without the federal government and the state doing what i think should be their parts the the answer inevitably is that this gets uh this gets dropped and it gets dropped on the people who are struggling with these issues and it gets dropped on 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 first responders but i'm i'm hoping we can end on a uh on a grace note here and you you can just say a bit more about uh the nobility of this calling and what's kept you uh, at it and speaking out about these larger issues and how it can feel Sisyphean but still doing the work.
2: Sisyphean is the perfect example. You know, we're going to keep running this boulder up the hill of medical care and then maybe we'll get it tipped over someday and I can rest. What keeps people like us doing this work and working two or three jobs just to continue to do this work is there's nothing. And unless you're in this business, you're not, you may not relate to it. There's nothing like saving someone's life. There's no hit of cocaine. There's no jumping out of a plane high, nothing Then when somebody is not breathing and because of your direct interventions, They're alive. The magic of paramedicine, the magic of being an EMT is when you're almost dead. I come in, you're falling off the cliff, I pull you back. Whether that be because you're a bad asthmatic, you're suicidal, you're having a heart attack, you're stroke, whatever it is. I, we, my partner and I, Bought you time so that you can go back to your loved ones, so that you can go back to your job, you can go back to enjoying things. There's nothing, there's nothing like that. And it's such a sense of being purposeful in a planet that sometimes we feel like as humans, what am I doing here? EMS workers, EMTs and medics never wonder why we are here. We wonder why we do what we do because it's so dangerous and doesn't pay well. But we don't we don't wonder what's the purpose of what we're doing, right? To help humanity for that 20 minutes that I have you. And and I would love, we would love, we in EMS would love to have a system where the public is educated what EMS is for. You never see that. You see commercials, hey. Call nine one one for these things, for fire, for PD. Never see it for EMS. We would love to have an educated public, a healthy public, where they have access to medical care, and we come in and we augment that access to medical care, and we get them to the hospitals and we treat them and they live and they go off and live happy lives. And then we would have we would have a line around the corner of people trying to be medics and EMTs. That's my utopia,
0: Anthony. Thank you for, for joining us taking the time here. We really appreciate it and wish you and everyone doing this work well. And uh, hopefully we'll have you back on.
2: Thank you for always having me uh, and always showing support to what we do. It's important uh, for us in EMS to be seen. We need to feel like we're being seen and shows like this and other people like yourself, Harry, make sure that we, we, we know we're being seen. So thank you. F- FAQ
1: This has been FAQ NYC. We're a part of the city, a nonprofit nonpartisan newsroom dedicated to hard-hitting reporting that serves the people of New York. Through midnight on December 31st, every dollar you donate to the city will be tripled. With $1 from you becoming $3 we can use to report news you can use. Just go to thecity.nyc/give today. That's thecity.nyc g-i-v-e. We are headquartered at NYU's McSilver Institute for Poverty, Policy, and Research, and are a proud member of the Brickhouse Cooperative of Independent Journalists, Critics, and Artists, online at popula.com.
0: Our host this episode was... Harry Siegel, senior editor at The City, co-host of FAQ NYC, the podcast, columnist at The Daily News. He's also
1: our executive producer... I'm our engineer, Adam Kimara. Thank you to our
2: guest... Anthony Almagera, Lieutenant, Paramedic, FDNY EMS, Vice President, Local 3621, the FDNY EMS Officers Union, author of Writing the Lightning, A Year in the Life of a New York City Paramedic.
1: And thank you, listener, for joining us and making it this far. Be kind, be cool, and we'll be back soon with more.
0: I think the title of this one is going to be Listen... The view from the broken end of the bottom. Right.
2: It looks, it looks big, but it gets narrow quick.